0: Welcome to One Hour in the Past, a podcast series presented by the St. Catharines Museum and Wella Canal Centre and hosted by me, Adrian Petrie, Visitor Services Coordinator, and Kathleen Powell, Curator and Supervisor of Historical Services.
1: Our community is filled with diverse stories, and we recognize that our story begins with the Indigenous peoples of this land. We acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on lands that have been inhabited by Indigenous people for millennia, and we would like to honor the centuries of Indigenous people who walked on Turtle Island before us.
0: As museum professionals, our jobs are many-fold. Managers, curators, interpreters, researchers, and much, much more. We found ourselves pining for some more interesting and perhaps wild history in our daily work.
1: Ring, ring! Ring, ring! Hello? Oh, hi, Adrian. Just calling to let you know that on this episode, we're looking into the history of telephones.
0: Oh, (laughs) wow, neat! Thanks so much for calling me on the telephone (laughs) to tell me that.
1: But wait, there's more. On this episode of One Hour in the Past, we're joined by a special guest, Mayor Walter Senzik.
0: Oh, wow! I can't wait to hear where your research took you.
1: Me too. Are you ready? Let's head down the rabbit hole to see where we ended up. Okay, welcome to... Uh, one Hour in the Past. I'm Kathleen Powell, Supervisor of Historical Services at the St. Catharines Museum. And I'm here today with our Mayor, Walter Sensick, who is uh, joining us for our podcast about the history of telephones. Welcome.
2: Thank you. I just turned off my telephone.
1: Awesome. Yay. <laughs> I figured you, you don't ringing. want to be interrupted
2: <laughs> with a telephone ring talking about telephones.
1: That's true. Although it would be funny. The irony would be there. <laughs> So, um, as an introduction, I guess we should, uh, maybe you want to give a little intro and talk about uh, your interest in history, because I understand that you're a bit of a history buff and you have some background in history. Do you want to share that a little?
2: Sure, sure. I I am am a history, I'm a historian by trade, I guess is what I would call myself, because I got my master's in history from McGill, and my focus of study when I was at Laurier to do my undergrad was history. My focus was Canadian history. I did my thesis at McGill on the cholera epidemic in 1832 and its impact on public health. So it was one of the first earliest iterations of the development of, of creating public health as part of the outreach around the cholera epidemic. So when you look at uh, hospitals, when you look at public health departments, uh, the appearance of a disease like that did create, it codified um, a lot of the processes that were put into place after the cholera epidemic. So it was just a very interesting, very specific part of And that's as historians, what you do, you go right that's to right. a very specific thing, and then you learn a heck of a lot about it, yeah. and no one else is interested in what you learned about.
0: That's really interesting. <laughs> I
2: should have called you because our
1: Spanish flu yes, exhibit, it is. I did a bunch of research yes, on the is. cholera epidemic well, and the uh, how public health grew out of uh, epidemics like that in Canada. Yeah. So that's, yep. that's really interesting. Wow, that's yeah. great. Thanks so much. Well, thanks for joining us and well, uh, our uh, podcast. And for those people who are new to the podcast, uh, this uh, the way this process works is that each one of us had one hour to go on our own and research our topic, which is the topic of telephones. And uh, with that research, we're going to now get together and talk about where we ended up. And usually we start our podcast off with where did you start and where did you finish with your research?
2: Well, it's interesting because... It, the the topic excel, itself warrants to a trip that we had taken uh i'm going to say now 4 years ago where we went to Nova Scotia and we did a tour oh, yeah. of the in, entire the entire province and including the Cabot Trail and and one of the interesting things uh, i found about Nova Scotia and i'm just trying to see if i got my history right yeah it was uh, and that's where the home of um alexander graham yeah. bell yeah and so just going through and doing a tour of that space um, gave us gave me great insight into his, his his mind and sort of how he was a lifelong inventor.
1: yeah he and was a great guy really interesting.
2: Only one small part of it, not small but, but one part of it was was the telephone which I didn't know about. so he had he had used uh sort of places like that along the ocean which would draw out uh, a lot of his creativity and a lot of his his patents that he had put in so having that connection and learning about him and then seeing the topic that was put in front of me I thought going back to the actual invention of what we now know as the telephone would be my starting point
1: great and where did you end up
2: I ended off with just immersing myself in the invention period part because I, I there's a, there's it'll come out of this discussion but fascinated by by the um, the concurrent or parallel rush or push for the invention. So while Alexander Graham Bell is, is has been has been identified or is noted for the invention. There was, I think, five different inventors yep. that were it's a little bit of a fight. moving. And it, but the interesting <laughs> thing is the parallels that you can draw with all form of... Te- so where it took me was looking at the invention of the, that telephone and then the invention of the cell phone. Right. And how in technology, from what I've come to understand, is that there's, there's people working in parallel trying to build almost the same thing and in the world of patents they don't share their their research because it's all all, yeah so even back in the 1800s they were they was very secretive about who had what and it's something that still exists today yeah
1: yeah that's great that's cool I did come across some of that I didn't my direction didn't end up in that direction mostly um, but I did start with a similar spot as you, as in the the period, you know, around the middle of the 19th century when the telephone was invented, uh, and I ended up. The very last note that I have is about the very first payphone in uh, Hartford, Connecticut, in the United States in 1889. But I went on a little bit of a tangent in the middle there, where I was kind of interested in furniture related to telephones.
2: Furniture so, related. To this. You so, know how,
1: I don't know if you ever like, had this in your house, but I know we had a chair that had a little thing on the side for the phone book to sit in.
2: I remember something. And it something. would go next yeah, to you where yeah, your phone yeah, was. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so
1: I was trying to find information about that. I didn't find very much, but that was kind of the tangent I went on along the way. Um, just for fun.
2: <laughs> so you are more about the furniture associated with and how that... Because I, I guess one of the interesting things about sort of the telephone and how even in the research, the early research is that a lot of the early the earliest examples of the telephone was between a primary residence and a business. Right. And so they had one line. Yeah. And it was a very central part of a house and central part of the business. And you had to build the structures around the, 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 the telephone which didn't move. Right. Which for any young listener you would realize the telephones of the day only went a certain distance as long as the cord would exactly. reach it. And the earliest iterations, they were stationary. So I think it was, and telephones played such an important or such a central role in the in the in in a house. Right. So furniture would have been That's kind an of interesting. I,
1: yeah. Because I remember um, having the phone on the wall with the long cord and... If you wanted privacy, essentially we had to go down the base basement stairs in our house, and so you you know grabbed the cord, pulled it as far as you could, which was destroying the cord every single time, and closed the door behind you to the basement stairs to have any privacy. We used so. to go in closets. <laughs> so there you go. And that was before the cordless phone, which we now have. But uh, but
2: there was two yeah. two different kinds of cords, right? You had you had the cord from the wall yep. that would go to the the, the phone unit. And then you had the receiver cord, right, the big
1: long curly cord, the curly cord. Yeah. So
2: what we found is that you would take the phone as far as you can go, make your phone, make your phone call, and then take the longer part of the receiver, <laughs> exactly and then go further into a, and yeah, you, there would be cords going, and who's on the phone yeah. where, and they would be in. I would, I'd go into a closet and I'd try and make a phone call.
1: I think our house was a little. Uh, um, Maybe behind the times of most of my friends. We didn't actually have that phone that was plugged into the jack that you could pull. Ours was literally the, the phone box on the wall with the huge black handset. It yeah. was like super heavy. Um, and it was on the wall in the kitchen <laughs> for a long time. My parents don't have that still, but it was like that for a long time. So anyway, that's where I went. So um, so let's go back and circle back. And uh, why don't you talk about what you found out, what uh, where you started and... Go through kind of the things that you found out about the history of the telephone.
2: Well, it, and again, it probably goes back to my my history leanings and where I like to do research was around the individuals. And so, you know, from Ale, Alexander Graham Bell to uh, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to say these names right, but there is Antonio Machucci, Mercu- Charles uh, Brusso, which I think he is he's French. Antonio is Italian. Uh, Alicia Gray and uh, I think is Johann Philipp Reis, which is German and the reason why I bring up the individuals is because they were in different parts of the world and trying to put together the science behind the travel of sound and so prior I think it's
1: really interesting that these things are happening parallel to each other with probably none of them talking to each other but they're all That's working what's... through the same type of uh, finding out how this technology works. So interesting.
2: And that's the, what I found most astonishing is that it was, it was built on the, I guess, the very base knowledge that sound can travel on a wire or right. a rope. And so for, for, for anyone who has done this, I did this when I was growing up, you would take a, a cup and you would drill a hole yeah. or put a hole in the end <laughs> and then you would tape a, a piece of taut string to it you would then take that string and you would go as far as you can, and then you would put another screw in a in a in a in another cup. And the key is, which I forgot, you had to keep it tight.
1: Yeah.
2: If it w- wasn't taut, it didn't work. Then you wouldn't have that sound of travel, and so it could work with string. It worked better with a a, a wire, and they've been using that as part of communication. I think I read in the seventeen hundreds. Sure was the earliest sort of example of this technology that was using some kind of, of of tight string or tight something tight that was the sound would travel. And so it just brought me back to the my early learnings, sort of the early days of science when I was in like grade six or seven, just learning about how sound, sound travels. travels. Sound yeah, waves. Yeah. And so it was the, the 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 central thesis was this had been in, in play for maybe a hundred years and then these inventors looked at it and said okay it's almost like how can we commoditize this? Yeah. How can we make it go over longer distances and how can we make it so that it can go between multiple points? And I guess that's the fascinating part about it is is that how science drives the 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 core of invention. And it's that sounds you know obvious but you had something as simple as a rope between, uh, between two points, and then that transcended into how do we use electricity yeah. to then push the sound out. And I'm not a science guy.
1: No, but it makes me really have a bazillion times more respect for inventors. Right. Taking a look at exactly that. like They can look at this basic premise of science and create this amazing technology <laughs> that's useful for everyone in the world. Yeah. So where else did you end up? Where else did you go with it? You come across anything else?
2: Well, it, I guess the again, it's it's the it was then the the battle of the patents. And right. uh, for those who may not know what a patent is, patent is something where you you have something that you've constructed, or you have an algorithm or a formula that you've you, you've developed in isolation of anyone else. And then what you do is you apply for a patent and it seemed like a lot of these individuals wanted the American patent for some reason. And so Alexander Graham Bell could have had the patent in Canada, yep. which at the time would have been the British Empire. And looking at, there was a push for all of these inventors to get the American patent for some reason.
1: Big market there.
2: And even back then. So this is yep. going back to the 1800s, uh, the late 1800s. And so just seeing the how they were fighting yeah. and it was who would become... And so, what I, I followed the thread of, uh, one of the threads was Alexander Graham Bell, and I forget the other's name, um, but it was either the Antonio uh, Musucci or the German fella. Um, there was a push in the states to recognize not just Alexander Graham Bell after like 50, 60 years. And then they had to go to Congress. Yeah. There had to be a vote in Congress <laughs> that said, here's the inventor. And, and Alexander Graham Bell. One out. Right. And uh, so I followed that thread down.
1: That's pretty cool. Was there any like real interesting backbiting going on uh, between them or did they even yeah,
2: know each other? N- no, and in, in, I think as the, it's the notoriety, right? Like, so, so once, once, I believe once Alexander Graham Bell did his first call in New York, uh, he did it from New York to I believe Chicago. Right. And this would have been in 18, 1892. I think that was probably the. Moment where the other inventors were going, okay, well, I uh, know I've already been doing something like that, so it's my invention. And you just get into the whose v- invention yeah. is it? And it, the, the interesting thing is, that is not, it wasn't unique just to this invention. I, in a, most That's inventors true. try to, you know, I was so, just imagine if you were the other guy who, like, you were one step away from creating a phone call, and then you look and go, oh, this guy did it. Beat me by a
1: day. It it, it would crush these (laughs) guys.
2: Beat me by a day. It would crush these guys. Well,
1: because they had been around for a lifetime. Right.
2: The guy slept in one day and Alexander Graham Bell beat him to it. Anyway, tell me a bit more about yours.
1: So, where I started was uh, this idea of the start of communication being the telephone and the telegraph. So, the telegraph had actually been around in Canada anyway from uh, 1837. You know, with Morse code and all oh, of yeah, that yeah. thing. Oh yeah. 1837. Yeah. So. Um, that was one the, of the
2: rebellion g- here. Yeah. We were going through the Upper Canada Rebellions.
1: <laughs> well, exactly. And uh, one of the big deals was to, tr- because of the rebellions, was getting uh, train service across Canada. And yeah, with train point. service came the telegraph, essentially, yeah. because they were able to put railway tracks across. They could also get communication across. And yep. so that was a huge uh, deal. Um, and then in Canada, the big invention is 1876 with Alexander Graham Bell, which you've already talked about. Um, Interestingly, the, uh, the Dictionary of Canadian Biography talks about telephones, the history of the telephone in Canada, and it says, prior to Alexander Graham Bell's uh, invention, people could get long-distance messages through a drum and smoke signals, semaphore, trumpets, carrier pigeons, or human travel. So you had to send a guy to go and take your message, so... We can see why the telephone would, or a telegraph would be so just, very appealing. So imagine the, I'm just going out for groceries,
2: <laughs> yeah. and that person has to walk somewhere and find something and say, oh, he's just going out for groceries, he'll be back.
1: Yeah. And that person has to turn around
2: and go with a message of, okay.
1: <laughs> yes, if you're going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Or you can make a little note and attach it to the leg of your carrier pigeon and hope that your carrier pigeon Makes made the it to the, yep. other, uh, to the other side. Um so I did go into a little bit about uh, how the um, telegraph and the telephone uh, sent messages encoded electronically with the use of um, electricity, essentially. That was kind of the big deal, was being figuring out this idea that it was electricity through the wire that was helping to provide the opportunity for the sound to travel at a long distance. And it traveled at a long distance almost at the speed of light, so it travels like, in real time. So you didn't have to wait... You know, for the message to get there for five minutes and then you get it back. The appeal of the phone versus the It's like the primitive telegraph. text messaging. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the old internet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, even
2: even now, you're sitting in a text message you're like, hey, what are you doing? Then you have to sit there and wait
1: <laughs> for someone to text you back. That's true. Nothing. Yeah, that's exactly
2: Wow, it took you two minutes to do that. Yeah.
1: Huh? All right. But that's exactly what the telegraph was like. All right. So, you know, right. they and had those little guys with the... Sending this telegraph message across in Morse code. And honestly, the one thing that I came across here that I thought was the biggest uh, kind of sad story to the whole thing was that Morse had an assistant who, sadly, I can't remember his name. I should have written it down, actually, because I feel bad for him. His assistant actually created Morse code. So the fact that
2: you don't even remember his name right. is doubly bad.
1: Yeah, for sure. So
2: Morse, Morse was just you Morse's know goofing name around. Morse's is on
1: it, and his assistant... Well, no, Morse was looking for ways to do this, but he had his assistant like, hey, could you create a code that we could use here? <laughs> so he creates it, but his name doesn't even get to be on it. Yeah. So that's kind of it's like It's it. like
2: uh, who, the, the founder <laughs> of Apple... Um, Oh, his name escapes me now. Uh, the founder of Apple. Yeah.
1: Uh, Steve, um, Jobs, Steve Jobs.
2: And then the other Steve right. is the guy who actually did all the coding. Yeah, and he, and Steve Jobs becomes him, right? the big guy. Yeah. The two Steves. I only remember one last name. Right. I think Woznisky is Woznisky? Yeah. Yeah, Wozniak is Wozniak? Yeah, Wozniak? Yeah. Yeah. So
1: that's like one of Same those thing. things in history. It that's why in all inventors the time. you got
2: to be by yourself.
1: I guess. Like invent inventors <laughs> just got to do it by themselves cuz
2: if not, you may not get the credit.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. So um, anyway, this guy created this language that you he was could a probably send. a co-op student.
2: He could, <laughs> he could have
1: been. <laughs> Send messages this way, but the challenge with that is that you had to wait for the message to come back. It was one way, right. so you sent a message across the country and then you waited for the, the, the person in the train station <laughs> to, you know, write down all the dots, encode the message, like put it into English, and then get a reply, put that into the dots and dashes, and send it back. So that could take some time. Um, and then if you wanted to send a message a really long distance, it had to stop at different stations along the way. Right. So someone had to inc- like take down the message and then send it again. So it was just like, you know, when you sit in a circle and you try to pass a secret message around right. and see what it ends up like at the end. That's a bit of a challenge with telegraph. So the telephone saved some of that because hopefully you're talking in real time in two directions with the person that you were talking to. So I totally see why this was such an appealing invention at the time.
2: And it, that's the history of invention though, right? It's the it's the mother of, of yeah. necessity. Yep. And so when you look at an invention like this, it's driven by how do we make things better if you look at the you know the invention of the computer it was how do we make things faster how do we use something like this a wall of computers to do something simpler for a person and everything gets distilled down into that way of which is interesting because you know i don't know if there's an inventor out there trying to come up with a better banana but you know there's inventors (laughs) kind of trying to come up with a a better telephone everything Yeah. yeah
1: still um and uh, so, of course, I came across information about the, the uh, very first test of the telephone, which happened in Ontario, in Brantford, in 1876. And you can actually go to the Bell Homestead in Brantford. It's, uh, it's nice, and they have a little spot there where you get the history of... Uh, um, of the, that first telephone call. And then I thought, you know what, I should go on and t- I should look up St. Catharines and the telephone just to be on the same oh, okay. side that I've covered the telephone oh, in St. Okay. Catherine's. And so I did that. I usually go to my, uh, you know, the Bible of St. Catharines story, which is this Canada's canal city. Um, and Who wrote I looked that? up, this was written by John Jackson and Sheila Wilson. Um, well, it's a great book and it uh, only had a few small references to the telephone but uh, council minutes in 1874 record that the town clerk was authorized to telegraph once a week to toronto to get the time the observatory time from the observatory in Toronto. So that our clock here on the courthouse was very accurate. It was supposed to be within one minute of the time of the observatory time in Toronto. So that was the first time. But that time, was a
2: telegraph. Yes, that's that the it, first it, time it, that they
1: in council minutes that they talked about this long-distance communication. Wow. Well, so he was, and then this John Jenkins was paid an extra $1 per week to do that job. To $1 check once, per week? Yeah, to check once a week. That's a lot
2: of money back then.
1: Yeah, To check once a week on observatory time. It's like uh, we've done a podcast. um, We did a podcast where we talked about the CBC time signal from the, uh, have you ever listened to CBC and at one o'clock every day they they do do the official time signal? um, And this was a similar idea. So they telegraphed to get the official time so that our clocks were accurate to everybody else's clock in the world, essentially. That was the idea.
2: Or at least Toronto time.
1: Right. John, wow. Theoretically, hopefully, the observatory was on the right time. <laughs> but yes, you're right. Uh, but the telephone itself arrived in St. Catharines in 1878.
2: 1878. Yeah. So.
1: And there was a demonstration concert that was relayed along the telegraph wires of the Montreal Telegraph Company to 24 listeners of the Methodist Church in on Welland Avenue. So they so, had a concert was happening in Hamilton, and they uh, sent it across because there were no telephone wires yet, they sent it across the telefo- telegraph wires through the phone so that these people on at the Methodist Church on Welland Avenue can hear this concert.
2: That was the first example yeah. that you found? Of... Yeah,
1: in this book. Yeah. Wow. But eventually, telephone did take off a bit, and there was a switchboard building that was opened on Ontario Street in 1879. So it didn't take long. It didn't. It's... Within a year, they've got a switchboard uh, happening, and it was located in this... Um, uh, In this building on Ontario Street, and then the Bell Telephone Company opened an exchange in 1883 uh, in an office on Saint Paul Street. So this guy who was a a coal and wood merchant named Charles Stewart was the first local manager of the first telephone exchange. Wow! So he had all the he had all
2: the city secrets.
1: I guess. Yeah. Well, well, because back then, so
2: I was doing research on the actual (laughs) switchboards. (laughs) And it was in order to, one of the the earlier phones, because they, they didn't have the ring yet. Yep. So one of the earliest phones is you had to go to wherever the phone was in your house and you had to start speaking into it.
0: Hello. And then
2: someone would say, hello. And then you'd say, I'm looking for so-and-so. And then yep. they'd have to go to the switchboard. And then that person would have to yell into the thing and say, is anybody there? <laughs> and then someone walking around their house would come in and go, yeah, I'm here. And be like, this person wants to talk to you, I'm going to put the switch in, but then the the, the, the switchboard operator right. could hear everything. Yeah, exactly. So just imagine all yeah. the secrets around St. Catharines. Oh, Catherine's. I
1: can imagine. Yeah, yeah, for it sure. So been. this guy would have been the guy to know. Yeah, well, he, all the he probably got city. wealthy. Oh, I'm sure he did. He had, yeah,
2: He had all the yeah. secrets.
1: It also said in here that his business became like a little bit of a tourist attraction because people came from afar to see the uh, the exchange in action.
2: So we were the first one in Niagara, or the first one...
1: I don't didn't look up the rest of Niagara, so I can't... I would
2: say we were the first that. in Niagara, because like um, Niagara Falls... I did say that,
1: it, that people did come from afar to see the exchange. Really? So that's kind of interesting. Um, but within two years, Bell Canada, or it wasn't Bell Canada then, but the Bell Company had 14, 114 subscribers in St. Catharines. So within two years, 114, that's quite a bit. Um, and then there were two public phones... That we're not in Yeah, one's still house. here. One's still here downtown. <laughs> so there was one at a drugstore and one at a grocery store. Um, and like you said, you called in. You and got you know the why operator. the grocery
2: store? You know why the grocery store?
1: <laughs> so someone could phone and say,
2: <laughs> so instead of waiting for the telegraph, you can instantly go, I need milk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need milk and bread.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and it was like you said, you called in and you got the operator and you just said who you wanted to be connected to. There was no phone numbers to start with no. you just said I need to talk to you know Joe over on Ontario Street or whatever
2: and then they would just sit there and start yelling for him through the phone yeah
1: hopefully because there weren't that many phones the operator knew who it was um, and then by 1895 long distance calls were possible so it took a few years before that so prior to that it was all local um, eventually the exchange moved over to the corner of James Street and King Street just around the corner from here, we're at City Hall right now, mm-hmm. uh, and then it was location was moved to that big building on the corner of King and Hellywell Lane, which is where the Bell Canada building is now. If you remember, I don't know if it's still a Bell Canada building, but you know that yeah, building. That, it's still there. Uh, is still, it still it, Bell Canada?
2: It has no windows on it.
1: Right. So yeah, I, yeah, I right.
2: imagine Bell. Yeah. It, all I, growing up, all I thought that was was like one one big switchboard inside. So it's.
1: I think that's what it was. It's
2: just switches yep. going. Yep. And you could never go in... like, don't ever go inside in there. Something might happen to you. <laughs>
1: it's like and a you Fort Knox. Yeah, it is. And it's still like
2: that. And it's, there's no windows. There. Like, I, it would be terrible to work in there. <laughs> you're the switchboard operator, you would never know if it's snowing or rain. I guess you could talk to somebody at the switchboard right. and say, What's it like outside?
1: Yeah, I'm yeah. stuck
2: here at the switchboard.
1: Well, maybe they didn't move there until after it, was, it wasn't any longer people that were doing the switching, then it was automated switching. <laughs> 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 but anyway, the building's still there, and they moved there in 1915. Uh, by 1915 in St. Catharines, there were 2,300 phones, and uh, apparently it was made a big, huge difference in being able to uh, gather people together for the war effort in St. Catharines to you know have meetings and uh, that kind of thing. So the phone was really starting to be an important part of people's lives by 1915.
2: So you so. wonder, you wonder when the the the, the phone call became. As you were saying, it was a call out. They were able to do the call out. When did it be? Like, when did it emerge as an irritant? That you're having dinner. Like I, it would be interesting to know in the history of the phone when the first person made the first call during dinner, and it was, "Who is calling me right now?" And you pick it up. Oh, we're doing a war effort uh, thing. We're eating right now. Call later. Like you wonder what yes. would be. At what point did it become an irritant, or you know?
1: Yeah, it's true. I don't know. I couldn't. Co- I didn't come across it. The yet, Roaring Twenties. <laughs> because
2: no one called out. during the Depression because you owed money, so you you right. like it was yeah, yeah. you weren't calling anybody.
1: You didn't pick up your phone. No, you, you ignored the
2: phone, <laughs> and you didn't call anybody.
1: Right, but by that point, we, there was a ring on the phone, so like you got. the phone So the ring. avoidance so you of the could ring potentially avoid the call, maybe.
2: So who was the first person that said, "Look, if you're gonna call me"? ring once, hang up, and then call again, and I'll pick it up. Because I don't pick up if I don't know what the ring
0: is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. And I know that for a while there it was like the phone rang and then you talked to the operator, right? The operator would say, this person's calling. So could you tell the operator you didn't want to talk to them? Or did you just like have no, your obligation was that you had to talk to the person that called you? That's an interesting question. It is, (laughs) because
2: it goes back to one of the sort of the areas of study that is often overlooked, which is, is the the social or oral or yeah. um, sort of the, the, the human side of that history, because there is a, there would be a history there of of the switchboard operator, who they were, yep. where they come from, what did they know, and what did they say in the community? Like, we're, I'd be interesting to know. Like, if if there would be, it would be great to read a a a almost like a diary of a switchboard operator in the 1920s to see if and you know i'm sure
1: there must be some out there i'll be
2: gender biased because i'm I'm pretty sure they were mostly mostly female and just read it would be great if someone had kept an account of (laughs) oh this person did this (laughs) on this day and because she couldn't tell anybody so her only source of would be a diary and it would be interesting to to know how much information that was actually yeah. exchanged, and how much could was hear, kept you private. Could
1: listen in if you if you were. A I'd be listening in all operator. the time. You could disconnect yourself, but you could also listen in. I would have been listening all the time. Oh, <laughs> yeah, see it the, was a... you know on the TV shows they used to always show that the, the switchboard person was listening in. Uh, so in St. Catherine's, the number of phones. This is the last little kind of bit uh, that I came across was that the number of phones doubled between 1915 and 1924. Wow. Yeah, and there is actually a cool picture in this book of a bunch of um, guys who were part of the crew that were laying the phone line. Well,
2: There's that would have been the next here part, right? Of
1: these uh, PB Cullen and the Bell Line gang that were taking their time out of their this picture here to lay the uh, the phone lines. Nice. And we will um, we'll put this picture in the uh, the blog post that goes with our podcast, so people can see that.
2: And it'll it'll just. Continue to perpetuate the idea. How many people does it take to lay a, lot, a phone line? There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's about ten people in this photo, and not one of them's working. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But
2: St. Catharines, and they misspelled the I know. name. Oh,
1: the name is spelled wrong on the picture on the uh, the little truck.
2: On the little have. truck, it looks like they just threw that truck together, though. Yeah, like that doesn't. It
1: looks like it's made out of cardboard.
2: Yeah. Hey guys, we're going to lay some wire. Does anybody have a something with four wheels on it that we can just put some wire on? Yeah, yeah, and I'm going to stencil our city's name on it. I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> it was interesting, but and it goes back to the the infrastructure required. So, yep. I think what we take for granted and and what this research that has that I've been able to go through here is you go from the invention and then to the actual mechanical device. And then from the mechanical device when sort of where I went in into into my research was more about the the interplay between the original device and what that created for a person into a business. And, and then how you've spoke yeah. out from there and you're looking at it, you know, 1400 people then had, and it was that all required infrastructure. Yeah. And so in the world of patents, while Alexander Graham Bell is, is the, the, the father of the, the phone, the infrastructure, the poles, how all that wiring, all that other stuff is patented as well. And I believe, at the time Bell was patenting every process along the way and that's why in Canada Bell was the dominant because it built the infrastructure for its phone system.
1: That's exactly it and that's a perfect segue because where I went from there was the design of phones because I was interested in the furniture of phones and where this came from. I couldn't find a lot about the actual furniture like that you would have in your house like a little table that would hold your phone and that kind of thing Um, but uh, I did come across a couple of articles about the types of phones and how phones started. So they started off as this box, you know, a lot of them, people have seen them in museums. It's a box on the wall, a wooden box with a listening piece. Um, And prior to, the very first ones had, you had to talk and listen out of the same piece. So there was no earpiece. (laughs) <laughs> so right, so you just was speak almost like into a it. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Just
2: imagine the germs yeah. on that one.
1: Oh, yeah, it's crazy. And then after that, they came up with the one that looked like a candlestick. You know, most people recognize yeah. it. It's like a stand up, and it has the part you talk into, and then on the side you hook on the the earpiece. Uh, and there was actually a thing in there that talked about the um, the part that you talked into being made out of. Uh, it was made out of ceramic that was supposed to be germ fighting.
0: <laughs> so, okay.
1: so they were obviously so. thinking about that. Um, And then you had to have, a lot of them had a little crank on the side that cranked to the operator. So basically you turned the crank and it rang over at the operator's station, wherever that was, and the operator hooked in and listened to you or talked to you that way. And then from there, um, there was a lot of different phone variety, but essentially for a long time, the phone company held the kind of design of the phone. Uh And so for many years, uh, phones were the wall-type phones. Well, has that
2: changed, though? Because if you think Not of a- really. Apple, yeah, Apple owns right.
1: the design, the design right. for the
2: phone, or, yeah, or yeah, yeah. you know Google or Samsung, they own...
1: Yeah, and in the States, it was General Electric. They yeah. owned the patent for most of the phones, and the, the most popular very first phone they had that was kind of like a desk-type phone um, was... Uh, this model called model 302 which they actually called the Lucy phone that's what it was nicknamed and you would probably recognize it if you google Lucy phone you'll recognize it because it's that black kind of looks almost like a pyramid and the handset sits on the top top. and that was revolutionary because before you had this upright thing where you talked into one piece and then you had another piece that you stuck on your ear The handset had the talking and hearing part in one spot. So those are the ones that business people would keep on their desk and it became a part of your business. Whereas before you had to walk to where the phone was in your house and talk on the phone. Um, So that was interesting. And the ringer was built into the Lucy phone. It's this one here in your picture that you have there. So the ringer was built in, which was unusual as well, whereas before the ringer hadn't been, it was a separate little box. Right above. Yeah, the ringer is built into the phone, and so the phone would ring on your desk, and you could pick it up and talk. Um, The reason why it's called the Lucy phone was because it was featured heavily in I Love Lucy, and Lucille Ball's very frequently speaking on the phone with, I can't remember the lady who was her friend. Yeah, Ethel Ethel. in uh, in the show, and you can see their little... Um, kind of video of the two of them and talking they, like, they,
2: were ne- they Weren't they next door? Like, yeah, they? just like so it,
1: across the hall or something. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's why it was the Lucy phone. Uh, and it was the most common design of phone for many, many years uh, in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, all across that time period. Uh, in the 1960s, there was the Trimline set, and this one you would probably recognize. It was kind of the first time that they had the little small phones. You know, right. we would—I had them definitely in the '70s and '80s when I was growing up. It was like a uh, the handset fit in it, and it also had the dial part on the handset right. you spoke into. Yeah, so those were the Trimline one was that one that was the whole thing. The whole phone is built into the one side, and then you just sat it on the cradle. It kind of looked like a, a little box that sat on your desk. And then, of course, cordless phones came out in the 1980s. <laughs> you probably remember the cordless phones. Cordless, I like they, they had the
2: big, yeah. you pull out that antenna. <laughs> yes. And then you would, I had brothers. And so what we would do is, we had nothing to do. So we'd pull the antennas <laughs> out and then we, we would just start, we would start fighting with
1: it. Nice. Them. How many phones did you break doing that? We broke a lot. <laughs> and then what when you broke the
2: antenna off, you, you just couldn't go to the room. Right. So you, you had to stay in the room so where the receiver was, so you're stuck. Yeah. And then you would try and tape it together, and so your dad didn't know you broke it. And then when he pulled it out and he broke it, he's like, Dad, what are you doing? You broke the phone.
1: Yes, definitely. You tried to get away yeah, with everything. Yeah, that's. I think this is like a coming of age from our generation. Yeah, yeah.
2: Or who
1: Who was the first
2: person to say, who lost the phone? Where did you put the phone? Because yeah. the cordless one, it would invariably end up somewhere.
1: Oh, yeah. Nobody in a bedroom
2: remember, yeah. or like in, a, in a closet. Yeah. You know, and he goes, I don't know where the phone is. <laughs>
1: And you couldn't find the phone easily. Because it didn't have a search yeah, button on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the great thing about, the thing I thought was the most important about the cordless phone was that you weren't tethered to one spot anymore, which was great. I remember that. You could go out on the porch. It was such a big deal. You could go talk on the phone out on the porch. You didn't have to stay in the house. Uh, and then in 1984 was when the first Motorola cell phone came out, that flip Phone. Or no, no this no, wasn't no. the flip phone. This was the big one that I was, was the say, giant box phone. So
2: the, the, yes. the, the standard phone got smaller and smaller. Right. And then the introduction of the, the cell, cell phone, phone, which was a suitcase. Right.
1: So this was the Motorola Dyna. And it was the one that Michael Douglas had in the movie Wall Street. Oh my gosh. It was a big deal. Okay. It was It cost $4,000. When they, when you first, if you wanted to buy it, and it had it like a backpack. Couldn't even fit in your pocket. Remember that it yeah. had like a giant backpack that had the battery in it, and then the piece was huge, just, just huge. Um, and then uh, it was 1996 when they had the flip phone, the clamshell right. kind of design, and yeah. that was Motorola. And you
2: know what that was designed after Star Trek.
1: Oh yeah, I believe it. So yeah. the designers of those yep.
2: phones were many of whom Trekkies, yeah. and so it was <laughs> how art was. Influencing design, right? And those were based off because of of Kurt and Spock and them yeah. flipping those things down and going, and then it they would just like that, yeah. yeah. And that's I what it was inspired it.
1: When they came out, and then of course, you know, since 1996 and that clamshell type phone, think about where we're at today with like the Apple phone. Uh, with smartphones, video calling, yeah. and all of those things. That watch. was like space age. Exactly. I was yeah. thinking about that, all, being able to answer your phone on your smartwatch. That was like space age, even in the 1980s. Yeah. And today I think we're the Jetsons. There, you know? I think
2: the Jetsons had, for any of those uh, who are of a certain vintage that watch cartoons, the Jetsons actually had one episode where he was talking on his wrist, and he was talking to the someone else that was above him and it was on and a those were like 1960s yeah, yeah. cartoons. Yeah. And that's how long it took to, to finally get, get on.
1: Yeah.
2: It is it's fascinating. Amazing.
1: And so the amazing thing I thought about the smartphone revolution is that we still use iconography from the original phones. So when you look at your icon on your iPhone of for your for dialing a, and making a call, it's a phone handset yeah. from the old days. And also we still say you're gonna dial that number, even right. though we actually don't dial anything. You're basically yeah. just putting numbers into a phone, yeah. um, and so we're still using some of that. It still brings us still into the uh, the current time, all of that history, which I think is great. It's even people might not realize it, and it's just you know a part of daily life that that icon looks like the handset from an old fashioned phone, but um, but it's still here with us, even though people don't see it. It's that connectivity. It. Yeah, yeah, it
2: is. It is fascinating how that's uh, the thumbprints of the origins of the phone still continue today even though the smartphones are no longer smartphones like they're just it's not just a phone yeah. they're they're smart devices and they can do we still call them a phone yeah
1: it's going
2: true. back to a telephone
1: <laughs> that's right <laughs>
2: so what's the difference between a telephone and a television
1: i don't know i don't know that one's a tough one. Maybe we'll have to do a podcast on that now. <laughs> well, it, it, I, I'm assuming that the telephone,
2: the origin of the word, had to come somewhere from telephone had to be some kind of either German or Latin or some kind of phraseology around sound. Sending things long
1: distance or something. Television like
2: that. is playing on telephone and listening yeah. sound. Television is television. Well, they it's, had
1: telegraph too, and that was about moving sound over long distances. So maybe that's what it is. is oh uh, yeah, things over distance.
2: I didn't study that part. Me
1: neither. Sorry. And then the last thing I went into that was just a tiny tangent was about furniture related to phones. What you so, started off with. Right. Which is pay phones. You know, back in the day, there were pay phones everywhere. You could go on the street corner, there'd be a pay phone. Um, That's where Superman hotel came and there'd from. There'd be tons. Exactly. Like, now what's Superman going to do? He's going to go change in the bathroom at 7-Eleven or something. <laughs> He'd have to buy something first. <laughs> exactly used to go in a hotel and there'd be a whole bank of pay phones yes, right. yeah, with yeah. like the little slide doors that you could close. Um, and so that is all missing in the infrastructure of our world nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, you used to have things at home where you had a table that was specifically for the phone. You know, it was designed so that the table was the size of the phone and underneath there was a spot for the phone, phone book, book to sit. Yeah. Um, funny story about that is that I um, was talking to my kids who are in their 20s and they uh, were talking about wanting to find some information somewhere, and I said, why do you look it up in the phone book? <laughs> they said, we still have a phone book.
2: <laughs> it does still get delivered. It, it does. is. There's still a phone book that gets delivered. It's true. And you And just imagine how many kids go, what is that? Yeah, well, they've never looked book. in the
1: phone book before, and so it was... Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I can't remember the last time I looked into a phone book. Yeah, it's been a couple of years for me, but um, I, ha- I do still have the phone book at home. I don't know why I keep it. Uh, but phone books were everywhere, yeah, if you yeah, remember. Yeah. And they used to have to use it when you were a kid. Yeah, I got, yeah, exactly. I, I got
2: one on my desk back from, I think it's around the 1920s or 1930s, a phone yeah, book. Yeah,
1: yeah. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but the first time you get to sit at the big people's table at the big dinner, you know, on holiday dinners, you sat on the phone, phone books book so that you can reach up higher. to the top of the table. So.
2: They're always a good, yeah. useful tool.
1: And then there were, ta- there were chairs that had the fo- a spot for the phone book in them and then a little kind of side table attached to the chair that was supposed to be for your phone. Uh, so I, I love that kind of furniture that's designed specifically for yeah. one niche purpose. Uh, when we were talking about the, um, the, the phone operators earlier, I was thinking about the fact that the phone operator's chair was designed for those women who worked there. And you know they were women because the chair had a little spot right at the back where they could put their purse Right. Handbag, yep. Yep. Um, and so that was a design directly that came out of this invention of the phone. And so, and you know, we still have those little things you can put on the back of your cell phone for holding on to it. That's a yep. new invent. That's inventions. All those phone cases. So there's tons of inventions that are furniture that live around the use of phones. Even though nowadays they're all portable and you can take them everywhere. So. Anyway, that was my research. I found it really fascinating. I hope you did too. <laughs> oh, it was interesting because
2: the, the the expansive part of your research started started with furniture and went all the way through to the local telephone history of St. Catharines, and then also on the the unique side of the telephone sets. Whereas mine focused on the inventors, yeah. the, and the early the early creation and how there was a fight for. Getting the patent, and you know Bell Canada, Bell one of the one of the largest corporations of the the twentieth century was predicated on one man's name, like right. just like so. His name three four four letters, Bell. Just imagine if I invented the telephone back in the eighteen hundreds, like Senzik. It. It, does, it, it, it doesn't roll off the tongue. It's hard it to might pronounce, have
1: been said it all the time. but it's you
2: know. Because we used to call it Ma Bell, yeah. not Ma Senzik. It, that doesn't it, it doesn't rule. So it's, it, it's interesting. He had he had the name, the right name for the it. The right name for. <laughs> That's I don't. True. <laughs> I would have failed as an inventor.
1: Thank you so much for joining me uh, today on our podcast, One Hour in the Past, and uh, uh, I really appreciate it. And
2: what's your motto? Keep digging.
1: Sure, we, we don't have a motto, but we could add one. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so
0: much. No,
2: thank you for having okay. me.
1: for coming down the rabbit hole with us and a big thank you to mayor walter senzik for joining us on the podcast we really enjoyed sharing some history with you
0: make sure to subscribe to one hour in the past and the museum's other podcast museum chat live on soundcloud or itunes so you don't miss an episode we're
1: always looking for ideas to spend one hour in the past researching if you have a topic you'd like to see us tackle connect with us at www.facebook.com forward slash St. Catharines Museum or on Twitter and Instagram at at STC Museum. We're so looking forward to chatting with you all again on our next episode of One Hour in the Past.
0: One Hour in the Past is produced by us, Kathleen Powell and Adrian Petrie, and brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Center and the City of St. Catharines.